Oh, dear Heavenly Father, <laughs> I should have never said that last week. I've started a precedence now. All right, so dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this time that we can um, that we can learn from you through your Holy Spirit, through your servant Gordy, and I just pray uh, that you'll open our ears um, to hear what you have to say to us today. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Wade. Awesome. Well, to begin with, let's, let's, uh, let's go through our text. This is uh, the Upside Down Kingdom. As I said earlier, we're going to talk about passing on the story through ritual. So let's, uh, let's read uh, together. I'll just read it out for you. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the, wor with the world. The word of the Lord. So I read that as a text today as uh, probably the most prominent uh, example of ritual that was ordained by Jesus before his his, uh, his death, and on the eve of his death, actually, and, and then the cross and resurrection. And I want to talk today about something that's not usually talked about in the vineyard, and that is the power of ritual for passing on the story, for shaping our lives, and particularly in the context of the series we're doing uh, shaping the lives of our children, passing on the story to the next generation. How many of you were raised in, 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 a, in an upbringing where ritual was suspect? It, it, it wasn't kind of positively spoken of. Raise your hand. Okay, some of you. Uh, I definitely was. I was raised in, a, in, a, in an upbringing where ritual, well, that was them Catholics. Um, oh, oh, yeah, and then I married one that solved that, didn't it? Um, and, and it was kind of these high churches. And, 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 and for us, we often saw ritual as antithetical to, real, to being real. We saw ritual as antithetical to being authentic. And often the verse that was quoted was that famous one from Jesus. Do you remember where uh, he said to the Pharisees, uh, a, a quotation from Isaiah, the prophet, these people draw near to me with their mouths, and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
In vain they worship me. In vain they worship me. That kind of vanity is kind of what our, our understanding was of ritual. It was empty. It wasn't real. Uh, not knowing all the time that we had rituals of our own as Pentecostals that we were following. And as I look back, I realize that ritual was a huge part of my upbringing, even though we were against it. And it was very common for my dad at the, at the supper table to after we'd, which, by the way, I never thought about the fact that we said grace before every meal. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and then after supper, we would, that my dad would often pull out his Bible and we'd have a scripture reading and we'd have, sometimes we'd sing together as a family. Um, and and, and um, we'd take a family holiday about the same time every summer. Um, that was ritual. So ritual was uh, definitely a part of our life. But I think there, there's two stories I want to introduce this with that kind of show me the power of ritual that in my own life, and I hope can convey that to you. The first was when I had the, the joy of becoming the father of teenagers. And um, how many know your whole world kind of goes through a bit of a change and a morph? when your kids hit teens. What, what did Jacob just tell you? He just gave... Oh, today? Yeah. He just... Yeah. He said, for clarity, I'm not a kid, I'm a preteen. Okay. So that was Jacob's announcement on his way to kids' church today. For clarity, I'm no longer a kid, I'm a preteen. So welcome to the new world, Aldona. It's just begun. <laughs> you want to start a support group with us? That, that We'd be happy to do <laughs> You send them to me. All right. Okay, well, that would be good. Um, but but when, when our kids hit teens, and, and it's not just teens, it's, it's also our world. Our world is so chaotic. And what we begin to find is, and I'm speaking for myself, I'm not speaking for Kathleen, but as a father, I began to feel that we were like ships in the night, like these particle chambers, you know, where the, 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 the atoms are flying in every different direction. And I felt that we were fast becoming a family by last name only. That was about all that was left to us being a family. And, uh, and it was just the chaotic, the, the independence that teens go through. It was the chaotic nature of work schedules, school schedules, special clubs or activities or friends. And there was something that rose up inside of me as a father that said, I am going to fight for us to be a family. And what I fought for was one meal a day that we would be together. And I fought for that. I fought for that one time every day in the week. And it wasn't every day of the week. There were a few days that we would miss. But I would say four or five of the seven days of the week, we would have that one family meal and as I look back at that incredible time that was incredible joys, incredible um, pain, I can see that that ritual created space for all kinds of God stuff to occur. Sometimes it's just an ordinary thing of just having that chicken dinner together that Dad made every time he cooked. <laughs> or it was just all of a sudden conversation would begin to happen. There's, it's not by accident that the central act of worship for the early church, Jesus Institute, was a mealtime. There's something that happens at meals that creates space where you stop, even if it's for 30 seconds, to wolf it down. But no, I, I, you stop 
And, and there's something holy and something sacred that happened that, in my view, when I look back, saved our family. I saw God use that. It was God, of course, that saved our family. But the Holy Spirit used that. The second story was when I'd had my nervous breakdown at the age of 30 after being in ministry for 12 years already and preaching to thousands of people around the world that Jesus loved them. And I now believe that I was lost forever. Nobody could convince me otherwise. I was mentally ill. I'd suffered severe psychosis for 48 hours, had made a suicide attempt, and then for two years lived in utter darkness and nobody could tell me that God loved me and that he cared for me where I believed it. I could not grasp that. I wanted to, but I couldn't. Have you ever been there? And so I remember reading these words in the Bible where Jesus said, if you, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have my life in you. You have eternal life. And I remembered putting two and two together that, that he was talking about having communion. And so with Kathleen every day for, for, for months and months during that terribly dark time, I would, we would take out the communion cup and the bread and we would break bread together. And I would take the cup and I would say, Lord Jesus, I can't believe that you would still save me and love me. But I, by this action, I'm saying that even though I can't believe in my heart, I am choosing to do this as, as the best act of faith that I know how to receive your life in me. And the, other, the flip side, and this is how completely perverted and twisted I was at the time, as a side to that, I remember where it said, I remember that passage that we read this morning, if you drink unworthily, you drink damnation. So I said, Lord, if I'm lost, then prove it and kill me when I take this, this communion. I literally said that. Just, just get it over with. <laughs> I know it was a bit twisted, but when you're in that kind of a dark place. But it was just desperation for me. But it was a tangible action with someone else in community, not alone, not isolated, but with the body of Christ, represented by Kathleen at that point. So I tell those two stories as an illustration of, of where I found ritual to be quite powerful. And I want to I build on that in passing this story to the next generation. Again, to put this in context, if you're just joining us today, we're in a series on the upside-down kingdom, why children matter to God. And the, and the critical place of us being strategic as a congregation in being multi-generational and intergenerational in passing on the story, not only for the benefit of kids, but for us. And we talked about how that, that God is an intergenerational God, that he identifies himself very early in Scripture as the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, three generations. Um, even, even within the Trinity, you have this Trinitarian multi-generational aspect of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The last prophecy of the Old Testament uh, about the new covenant is, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. There's something intergenerational about the very nature and character of God. And so when the disciples said, well, what is true kingdom greatness? Jesus brought a child and had a child stand in the midst. And we talked about how that if we're truly to be a kingdom of God, that upside down kingdom, that children are in the midst to instruct us about what God is like and to remind us of the values. Not that kids aren't sinners, they are just like us. But there is something about being a child 
that is essential for entering the kingdom of God. They're, they're like cement. They're moldable. They're, they haven't been hardened by life. They're teachable. And that childlike faith that we often refer to. So it results in mutual discipleship where they teach us as we teach them. We learn from them. I, I, it happened to me again this morning as I was worshiping. As, as I'm, 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 you know, I'm worshiping God, but I find my, my, my eyes wandering and looking at the children as they, as they flag, as they worship, as they, they draw. There's something about grace that I'm receiving as they worship with us. And next Sunday, I want to talk more about intergenerational worship as a congregation. And this morning is kind of a, a, a start to that. And then we talked about Seinsucht, this whole uh, phrase uh, coined by C.S. Lewis, which describes this longing and desire that we all have. Uh, it's, it's a longing for something that we can't define. And so often the, in the world, we create these goals that we think will fulfill that longing. But then when we've reached those goals, we find that it's just been a mirage and we're still longing. Or, or we try to suppress that longing by medicating it or by filling it with money and toys. But that longing still rises and we've, we recognize that that longing is for something that is not of this world. It's an already not yet of, the, of being at home with God where we taste it, but we still long for it. And so imagination and story help us connect with that. And C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and a lot of these fantasy imaginative writers understood that. And so we have a whole generation that, whose imaginations, as we said a couple weeks ago, have been baptized by these stories. Uh, accessing this, the, uh, uh, touching this longing that we all have. And so we've talked about how that it's like the, the effect of passing on of a baton in a, in a relay race where we are running together as generations to pass on that baton and, and that imagination and story is so, is so important for that. So I want to just offer some thoughts with regards to uh, ritual. First of all, there can be no passing on of the story and values without ritual. I want to just argue that today with you. And secondly, just to define ritual, is the symbolic use of bodily movement and gesture in a social situation to express and articulate meaning. So in other words, there's more than just what you're doing. There's reality and meaning that is happening beyond what you can see or feel, but it is, it is uh, symbolized or reflected on by the actions that you're taking. And it brings that, transcend, uh, that transcendence close. So when we have the body and blood of Jesus in a few minutes, it's not that we're just remembering a meal that Jesus had with his disciples 2,000 years ago. But he's instituted it so that we can have a meal with him today. So we together can have a meal with Jesus. So there's, there's something that's touched on there. So you say, well, what story are you talking about, Gordy? Gordy the, the, the story, the story, that God has never given up on his intention to put this world right. But he's chosen not to do this apart from you and me. He could do it without us, but for some reason that we don't fully understand, he said, I refuse to do it without you. I put humanity on the earth, and this is going to be a partnership. And yeah, it went wrong, but we're going to make it right. And so even when God himself had to intervene in the fullest way 
As God, he had to become a man. He had to become a human. And he walked amongst us. And today, he continues to do it through people. Fallen people. Imperfect people. People who sometimes get it right and other times get it wrong. The scandal of the story is that he uses sinful people like you and I. And no matter how much we fail and fall, he never gives up. He's relentless. He's relentless. And all of human history is heading towards that one day when heaven will marry earth, where the kingdom of God will be with us and God will live among us and be our God. For those of you that are waiting for something to be taken away, we're not going anywhere. It's all coming here. That's God's intention. That's the story. So, there's three elements to ritual. First of all, it's communal. In other words, the ritual we're talking about is, is, is in fellowship with others. Secondly, there's movement of your body. Your body is involved in this. And thirdly, it is frequent. It's repetitive. Re repetitive repeated. Uh, and so, for example, with the Lord's Supper... Even though there are all kinds of traditions this morning around the world that Christians will have with regards to have, they even call it different names, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. There's different words. Uh, there's different kinds of drink, unfortunately. Uh, and so, uh, but it's usually the fruit of the vine, usually, usually grape. Uh, there is, uh, in some way, the, the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples the night before he, he died is reenacted uh, as we have already done through the reading. And then there's an invitation of, of bodily movement to come and eat and drink together. And we're going to do that in a few minutes. And we're going to do that intergenerationally. In it there is meaning, meaning that, that this bread is broken represents the broken body of Jesus. The blood, the, the cup is, represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And it, there's meaning about what God is like. It tells us that God has chosen to rule, but His reign and rule is not by coercion or force. But He's chose to rule by winning our hearts through love and laying down His life for us. He has the power to, to, to wield a pretty big stick. But he chose to come as a broken... I've been, I've been reading the Passion Story this week in the book of John, and it so struck me how the emphasis on the king. Pilate derisively calls him the king. Behold your king. And he's got this crown of thorns and bleeding body, and he's just been flogged, and he's got this mockery purple robe that's been put on him, and they spit on him and strike him with a stick and put it in his hand and say, here's your scepter, king. Rule. The irony, this, this communion reminds us of the nature of the reign and the rule of God. That He's chosen to win us, win our hearts by love. That this kingdom is characterized, the reign of this kingdom is characterized by servanthood, by laying down our lives for one another, by regarding one another as better than themselves. We're not better than each other, but regarding each other as better, honoring each other. It's like, a like one theologian said was, was reflecting on the traffic lights. When you come to a traffic light, it's a, it's a symbol of the kingdom of God. You're stopping and you're letting others go. It's recognizing the nature of life, the nature of community. And that's what communion does. It tells us that we, we're called to community and living one another in lives. 
It shapes our understanding of God. It informs our morality. I think that people get into affairs and they fall into sin because they stop rituals. These rituals remind us of who you are. What happens when you forget who you are? What happens when you forget you have amnesia? You, you, you lose your identity. You forget who you're about. You forget your story. You forget what story you're in and you start living a story that's not your story. So communion is important for memory, not just for nostalgia. I love what Jay Pathak said at the BC Vineyard Fest. He says, I don't want to hear another John Wimber story anymore. And what he was saying was is that some people were living back in the 20 years ago in nostalgia. And we love John Wimber's stories, but the point is, he said, he wasn't saying don't remember them in, in, a, in a passing on the story way, but he said, discipline yourself to tell your kids God's stories from the last three months. God's still working. And Jesus, when he said, remember me, he wasn't saying, oh, feel bad about, oh, 2,000 years ago I died on the cross. No, it was remember me because I'm with you now. Remember the story you're in. So communion gets you fired up. Communion informs your morality. It informs your values. It informs our understanding of God. And there, as one writer said, there's a charging up of the object. So when we have this communion and we bless it, it's literally like, your, you know, my iPhone. I use it a lot, so I often have to charge it. How many have ever been to a, a youth camp when you were a kid and you got all fired up on the last night? You know, revival hit and you all went, woo, we're going to take the world for God and how many know you kind of had problems sustaining that a few weeks later and months later? Right? Well, what, what, the, what the communion does and what uh, different rituals do is they charge you. They, they, they bring you back to those points and remind you of what God did. Because we, we have bad spiritual amnesia as people of God. And so they charge up the objects, they charge you up, and the benefits are as follows. I'm going to give some examples in a few minutes, but let me just quickly cover the benefits. They first of all make transition and change in our lives more manageable. When you practice rituals, how many, know, how many have found out life is a little chaotic? You know, it's just, change is here to stay, and everything is changing all the time. And change is actually unmanageable for us as human beings without ritual. Ritual helps us manage change. I know some of the times in my life when I've had the greatest upheaval. I remember there was a time when after my nervous breakdown, I think we lived in something like 10 or 15 different places over a period of two or three years. It was just crazy. And it was those family rituals, those spiritual personal disciplines, those, those uh, traditions that, that anchored me, that kept me, kept me grounded. And so, uh, just like the teen chaos of our family, it, 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 it helps you manage those times. It facilitates the transmission of values and beliefs, and it points to the transcendent. It points to reality beyond what you see. It contributes to the, the building of family identity and story. And finally... And maybe most importantly, it promotes healing through grief and loss. Because there's times in our life where we have to embrace grief and loss. And it may not be a death, although it could be a death, but it might be the death of a season. 
I remember when my daughter got married, she came in the night before she was going to get married. I was supposed to do the ceremony the next day. And she'd been sleeping in that little bedroom next door, what seemed like all my life. It wasn't, but it had been years and years. And she was always there. And she walks into the bedroom, comes up beside the bed and says, Goodbye, Daddy. And she gives me a hug and kiss. And I said, Where are you going? <laughs> then I re- it hit me. She was saying goodbye. Well, I, I wasn't prepared for that. No. And the next morning, I was supposed to do the ceremony in the afternoon. I got up at 6 o'clock in the morning and I wept solid for two hours. I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. I was going to have to give my little, little girl away. And if I hadn't had that, that time within the ritual of my morning time, I couldn't have done the ceremony. It turned out to be one of the most beautiful days of my life. And the ceremony of marriage, the giving away, and I got to, I got to walk my baby down the aisle. And then when I brought her here, you want to be an actor? No, just kidding. I brought her about right here, like this. Uh, my, my dad, talk about multi-generation, he was standing at the front. He said, who gives this woman in marriage? And I said, her mother and I do. Right? And I gave her to Marcus. Then I ran around here and did the ceremony. Right? Why was that? I was multitasking that day. But you see how ritual and ceremony was so powerful in helping us process that season of grief and loss and give way for the new. Give way for the new things, the joy in the morning that was about to come called grandkids, right? All right. Want some pictures? Just kidding. So, so let's look at some ways we can do this for the, in wrapping this up. Meaningful practices of ritual. First of all, I want to point out the power of the calendar. Uh, the Jewish year became the foundation for the Christian year. And I want to read a passage of Scripture to you. I didn't have it on the, on the uh, video. But I want to read about how the Lord instituted the Passover. Because the Lord said to, to Moses, now listen to this and how it's related to the calendar. The Lord said to Moses, and by the way, the Passover was the context, the Passover celebration was the context by which our reading happened today, the, the commun- institution of communion. Jesus instituted communion in the Passover meal. So there's a reason, there's a, there's a whole purpose for that. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month, everybody say this month. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel on the 10th day of this month, each person is to take a lamb for their family, one for the household. Now listen very carefully. The month comes from the word moon. And they used to, in fact, I think some cultures still do this, but they would actually... Uh, signify the new month by the, the, when the full moon would appear, right? And they actually had people stationed on mountaintops, high, highest points around Jerusalem and Israel, to look for the sign of the new moon coming. And when the new moon showed, they would blow the shofar, the, tr- the Jewish trumpet. How's that? They'd blow that thing, and they would light bonfires on these mountaintops, and everybody would go, it's the new year, it's the new month. 
And from that day, they would count 10 days and then they would start the proceedings of the Passover. And so the whole Jewish year was structured to tell the story. To tell the story, the God story of the people of Israel. And so the Lord told Moses, listen to this. This is so... I was trying to read this to Kathleen. I was just weeping as I read this last night. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and, at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, uh, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top. Okay, imagine a door frame. Put on the top of a door frame and on the sides of a door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. Then the Lord goes through the land. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame of your house, and he will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these... Now, this is where it gets really moving. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance. Everybody say ordinance. ordinance. Okay, ordinance is ritual. Ordained by God where he says, you do this. You keep doing this. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, many of us call that an ordinance. It was what the psalmist said were his delight. I delight not only in your laws, Lord, in your word, in the, but in your ordinances. Why? Because they remind me of my story. They remind me of the story I'm in. When the devil comes and hell breaks loose in my life and tries to get me to live a different story, these ordinances pull me back into my story. And so, God says, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord your God has promised, observe this ceremony. Everybody say ceremony. ceremony. You kind of sounded ceremonial when you were saying that. Verse 26, and when the, your, oh, this is so good. Oh, and when your children ask you, mommy, daddy, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of Israel in Egypt and spared our homes when the Egyptians firstborn were struck down. Then the people bowed and worshipped and the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And just a little bit later, I won't turn to it, but just a little bit later in this chapter, God says, and when you have your Passover lamb... Don't break any bones. And this morning I was reading in my Passion Passage from John that they went to break the bones of the thief on the right hand of Jesus and they went to break the bones on the left hand of Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they found he'd already passed out, he'd already died. So they didn't break the bones and so that it might be fulfilled as was written, not one of their bones shall be broken. Jesus, our Passover lamb. So... Uh, So the, the, um, the Lord's Supper was, was celebrated in the context of this very Passover meal. 
And it's when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as our Passover because he delivered us, his blood being shed for us delivers us from the judgment we deserve, from the darkness we deserve because of his death for us. And it's a reminder continually that he gave his life for us so that we could live. That's our story. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? That's our story. So, so the Jewish year, and they instituted other celebrations like uh, Pentecost, which was a, became a commemoration uh, in Jewish tradition of the giving of the law at Sinai. And isn't it interesting that that which was a commemoration of the giving of the law at Sinai was the date that God chose to pour out his Holy Spirit on the church where he would write his law on our hearts and on our minds rather than some external stone table. So there's different ways that we can adopt that that Christians have done. How many... How many of you knew that the Christmas season doesn't start the day after Halloween in spite of what the signs are saying out on commercial drive? Did you, does anybody know when the Christmas season actually officially begins? In the Christian year? Peter? Uh, December 25th. Exactly. Christmas Day. And how long does it last? Do you remember? 12 days. Yeah, 12 days. That's why we have the 12 days of Christmas. Remember on the first day? Of, oh, no, that's a different one. But that's where that comes from. And it ends on Epiphany Sunday, which is the day of, I think, celebrating the baptism, isn't it? Oh, the wise men, that's right. The wise men uh, remembering. And of course, Epiphany is a reminder that Christ is for all nations and all people, that his light is revealed to the world, right? But all that to say is, is what do we celebrate before Christmas? Halloween, that's right. And I'm going to talk about that because there's some powerful things about Halloween we can gain. Hockey? Oh, pumpkins. Advent. What does Advent mean? Coming. Yeah, Advent means coming. When we say second Advent, we mean Christ's second coming. So the, there, there's something powerful about celebrating Advent because it's a season of preparation for the coming one where we teach our children to learn to wait, to learn to expect that you don't get everything now. But there's a longing, that, that Seinsucht again. We tap into that through Advent. And the Advent wreath, what's that all about? You know, every week, did you notice the candles get shorter and shorter? And we'll start this on the first Sunday of Advent. The candles get shorter and shorter. And it's a reminder that the day is getting closer to the arrival of the coming one. Right? And often we have reading and prayer when the candle is lit at Advent. And we take turns each week to give different families a chance to be involved in it. Different people. Different households. You don't have to be in in a traditional family to do that. What about Lent and Easter? Easter and Good Friday and and Easter Sunday is often preceded by a season of 40 days of Lent where where we grieve over our sins, but do it in a way where it's not miserable and mournful, but actually joyful. It was so fun last year when we put the hallelujah in the box. Remember that? 
I love the way that, that Joanna introduced that on Ash Wednesday and the kids saw the word hallelujah go in the box. And, and it came out on Easter Sunday morning. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Uh, these are powerful tools for, for teaching the story. It's a time when we can remember the world's poor, our orphanage in Burma for the child soldiers, for the work in Cambodia and Thailand that Wade's involved in, for our First Nations friends in Lower Post and here in the drive. It's a day that we can intercede and pray. And as I said in my MailChimp letter this week, Halloween used to mean hallowed evening, and it was a, a day commemorated by Christians when death and evil would come out to wreak havoc because they knew their time was short because All Saints Day, the very next day, was a day to celebrate the saints who were heroes of faith, who finished well, whose, whose lives triumphed over death, even as martyrs. And death is swallowed up by life. You say, well, the Druids had it before that. Well, they had Christmas and Easter too. So what came first? Creation? When all was well? Or the fall? You decide. I'm just saying that no matter what celebration, you have to be discerning because we are both an alternative society and a parallel society. So we've got to learn to work with the culture, but also discern the culture, right? So every, even Christmas, how many know there's a lot of discernment needed around Christmas, right? Probably way more than Halloween. It's, it's way more subtle and deceptive and evil, I think. It is. Those malls are way more evil than those little goblins that were running around my house the other day. Amen? And I don't apologize because Joanna told me not to apologize for stuff like that. I'm going to be the Don Cherry of the vineyard. Hallelujah. Oh, no. No, <laughs> My wife put a stop to that real fast. All right. So, so feast days. You know, have you ever looked at the church calendar and, and looked at the different feast days there are? And, and just it doesn't have to be a big deal. But remembering Stephen the martyr, remembering the slaughter of the innocents between Christmas and New Year's, uh, these are powerful. So then there's family traditions, rituals, celebrating birthdays. Why are birthdays so important? Because they, they honor a person's life. They honor the gift that that person is to us. Family holidays, uh, Shabbat, having a day where, we're, where we maybe cook and do a few things that are necessary, but where we are not producing. We're being more than doing. Next week, I'll talk about the family ritual of going to church together. I will argue that it is worth all the trouble <laughs> because it imparts values. It imparts the story. John Friesen said this, family rituals help children understand and identify with the values of the family. They cement the family's way of doing life together. I'm going to say that again. They cement the family's way of doing life together in the mind and the emotional life of the child. Family traditions that connect you to previous generations. Routines, bedtime, bath time, story times. As a church, we want to offer resources to families for children to help with that. Uh, 
Kathleen and I have entered into the rituals of our grandkids when we stay with them or they stay with us. We enter into their family rituals. And some of the most powerful God moments have been in these bedtime stories where the presence of God has just come. Marriage rituals. Couples need to have rituals for their marriage. Those date nights. Making love. Gordy, do you have to say that? Yes! It's a way of honoring the covenant between a husband and wife. The sacred covenant before God. And if you're in a community house, community house rituals that you have so that you're not just roommates. It's grieved me. We've had some wonderful communities in our church through the church's life. But sometimes some of the households, I, I thought, they're, you know, they're just roommates. They are, they're ships passing in the night. They kind of have their own space in the fridge, you know. And like, oh, God, that's not the kingdom of God. Shared life. Rituals help bring that together and make that real. And they sure deal with the loneliness. Passages of life. Passages of life rituals coordinate the family, the church, and the outside community. And I love the way some of you have done that. The choose this summer, the Pallisters with the baptism of their children. How it included the church, but included their extended family and even neighbors. Right? Involving them in, the, in, in this incredible part of life. I love the way the Pontelthes, when, when they're landed, have these incredible parties at Christmas and different times where the church comes, their friends come, their family comes, and their neighbors come. Roasting chestnuts in an open fire. So amazing. Birth, puberty, marriage, death. Ritual provides support and containment for strong emotions and gives way for new beginnings. Baby showers, bridal showers, bachelor parties, yes! Bachelor parties redeemed. I love the way Patrick did his bachelor party. I was his best man. We went down to, I went down to Texas. It was incredible. Gifts were given. We affirmed one another as brothers. We affirmed Patrick. We spoke into his life. We prayed for him. It was so powerful. It's been so twisted and perverted. Oh, the power of recovering that, guys, as kingdom men. So powerful. Baby dedications. Next Sunday, we should have greater celebrations for these kind of things, as big as or greater than birthdays. Baby, uh, baby um, baptisms, rather. Adult or children. I love, as I mentioned, the way that we, as families, have been doing that as a church. Bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. This was a Jewish celebration. It was a classical example of a coordination ritual where the child in transition to adulthood takes on a different status with his family or her family, church, and community. During the ritual, they have to demonstrate competency in the sacred language and lead the congregation in religious exercise. Can you imagine our kids kind of right, right at preteens, just where they have a couple, maybe even a couple years preparation, and then they actually run a service where they preach, where they lead worship, where they... They lead from the front and they are formally initiated and blessed into the adult world. Past, present, and future realities are linked by the use of the bar mitzvah ritual. And of course, death, funerals, wakes. 
These are healthy processes for grieving because you give grief time. You don't force it. We're not a society that knows how to do that very well. And finally, a way of life. We have this beautiful new homestay student. Her name is also Chloe, another Chloe. They're all beautiful, but this one's really unique. And she may, may let us know right at the front that she, she doesn't have faith. And I've had some very gifted, bright, intuitive girl. I've had some, you know, tried to do some of the C.S. Lewis apologetics on her, and she's more than been a match for any of that. But you know what's been so powerful is every time at mealtime, we'll say grace. We'll lift a glass of wine sometimes if we're having glass, or we'll light a candle. And the presence of God has just come, just at that point of ritual. To the point that she has started joining me in praying. Praying for her friends, praying for us. And to me, it's just the way that imagination bypasses all of those defenses and goes to the heart to tell the story, to tell the story, to tell the story. So ritual, again, is not just remembering the past or looking forward to the future. It is bringing the past and the future right into the present. So in conclusion, as we prepare for the kids, and somebody might want to go and get them ready to come up, because we'd like to be starting communion in about five minutes. The intentional and creative use of ritual is vital in capturing both our minds and our hearts by means of the imagination and effectively passing on the story. I'm going to say that again. The intentional and creative use of ritual is vital in capturing both our hearts and our minds uh, by means of the imagination and effectively passing on the story. So as you reflect on today's message and as you go into your home groups or in your community groups or wherever you are, I want you to reflect on these questions. First of all, tell your story. Reflect on what rituals have been significant in passing on values to you, passing on this story to you. What, what was meaningful to you and important to you? And if there were none, feel free, feel, feel free to say so because some of us did not have that treasure. Secondly, if so, how did they pass on values? What values were passed to you? And how did that happen through the ritual? And if not, what do you think the rituals, what do, what do you think were the issues? What, is, is there a barrier to ritual? Maybe it's to do with your upbringing where the Lord needs to heal you and redeem this aspect of ritual. I can see how people that went through residential school and under Catholic and Anglican churches would probably have an issue with ritual, right? So there may need to be some healing with regards to these things. And finally, reflect on the four kinds of rituals. I talked about calendar rituals, family rituals and traditions, passages of life rituals and way of life rituals, which is where you learn to kind of almost make it a way of life. Like I just love lighting the candle at supper time. It's just, just something about bringing the presence of Jesus for me now. It, uh, so meaningful. And, and by the way, our homestay also did that the other day. She took a candle, she lit it, and she said, Jesus, the light of the world. The one with no faith. Discuss some of the ways that you can be more intentional and creative in practicing these rituals to pass on the story with your children. Think about the rituals that are powerful 
for passing on that story. And I think Advent is going to be a wonderful chance for us to really refresh and be renewed in those. So just, are all the kids here? Are they all back? I saw some come in. I just want to make sure we, did, we have them all here for this part. Okay. So any questions before we, we while we're waiting? Any, any thoughts or feedback? Peter. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, what are your thoughts? <laughs> oh, I think it's when they become disconnected from the rest of life. Yeah. Um, Just for the microphone, Peter has asked, when do rituals go wrong? And then he's, uh, he's mentioned when they become disconnected from the rest of life. I would be so grateful. Peter has just given, uh, it, for those that are listening by podcast, um, just a, a, almost like a checklist, I think, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a gracious way, um, of things to watch for, uh, and that it needs to make intellectual, emotional, uh, relational, uh, what were the other, do you remember? The ritual sense. Uh, and and to, to integrate, and so that's a. If you could send that to me by email, Peter, I would love to post that as that as a wonderful little tool in any of the rituals that we do. Because I think what I noticed when with the lighting of the candle with with Kathleen and with Chloe is is that there's a relational component, there's an emotional component, there's a ritual component, a spiritual and an intellectual component, and and even though she's struggling intellectually with the Christian faith. The Holy Spirit is still using these other components to draw her in. And so I think there can be a real evangelistic component because Jesus did say that as long as we remember him by eating this uh, bread and drinking this cup, we, we proclaim the Lord's death. We're telling the story till he comes. And uh, so that's a great question. Awesome. Uh, are our, our little ones back? Awesome. Okay, so what we're going to do, uh, welcome back, kids and preteens. Make sure I get that right. And uh, uh, we love you guys, and we're so excited you're back for communion. And uh, does anybody know why we call it communion? There's different things that people call this what we're going to do, the Lord's Supper, communion. Um, we call it uh, uh, Eucharist. Eucharist means to be thankful, 
But does anybody know why we call it communion? Pax. That is so true. Because Jesus loves us. That's right. And he wants us to be together with him and with each other. That is so good. Awesome. So the other reason why we call it communion, and it's totally related to what you just said, not, not another reason, but um, if, if I could in one picture describe to you why communion is so important to us, it is this. It is a meal with Jesus. Now you see from that picture, the only, what's wrong with that picture? It needs some of your coloring skills, so we'll work on that. But what I love about this picture is you see children, you see babies, you see adults, you see grandmas, you see grandpas, and who's in the center? And what Jesus said is when we have communion together, when we honor him and remember what he did for us, his promise was he would be with us and have this meal with us. So Jesus is here with us today. And we're going to have communion. So I'm going to invite Rick to come on. If somebody, some few people could help us clear the front a little bit. We're going to do communion a little bit different today. Not too different, but a little bit different. Just want to point out, um, actually, Rick, I'd like you to do this. Maybe, could I borrow that mic? Wait for Rick. Yeah. Uh, can you just explain kind of our options here? All right. Um, if I may speak on behalf of the entire church, we would love you to share communion with us. And this is how you may do that. Uh, Sophia and I are going to be up here, and we'll be giving the uh, elements too. The, uh, Sophia will be giving you, offering you the bread, and uh, you'll take a little piece of the bread. And uh, I will have the, uh, I'll have the wine beside her. No, not actually not wine uh, juice, but it's wine. And uh, and uh, what we'll do is we'll offer you a blessing, and then you just uh, dunk the bread in the uh, juice, and then you may uh, return back to your seats for prayer. And also, if you uh, have problems with gluten, we also have uh, crackers for you. And uh, if you're not if you're kind of leery of, uh, of um, communal uh, juice, uh, we also have uh, little uh, containers of uh, juice for you here. And we would encourage the kids to like take a little uh, thing of juice and some bread and then have communion with their family. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Thank you for serving us this way and Sophia. And I would like to ask Peter and Jessica to come and receive first because they are going to take off in their car. We need Jessica. I just so appreciate... I'm going to wait. Yeah, Jessica's serving somewhere else right now. Jessica, we need you. Just appreciate this, guys. We, we, uh, we rented a van to get our kids up to uh, the youth retreat. And uh, Peter and Jessica drove them out on Friday and drove back. Now they're going to go out and get them and bring them back. Plus, Jessica served in our, our primary this morning. Plus, Peter did video this morning. So I really want to bless these guys, uh, really honor them first and free them to, to go because they still have a long day ahead of them. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So uh, one thing, you, if you would like prayer from somebody in a, on a prayer team, or not, we don't really have prayer teams, but our leadership team, uh, people that have been trained for prayer ministry, uh, you can stay at the front, or as, as Rick said, you're welcome to go back and just pray with one another, pray for one another in this. Hallelujah. Any other questions while we're waiting? <laughs> Cody, you have a question, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, so this time, normally what we've been doing is we've been over on the side. And I don't know, that just didn't sit right. I just feel like communion needs to be in the middle. So I think, is it okay if they still go down this way but come here? I think to create a flow of traffic, just come down this aisle and receive it in the middle and then, then just go this way. So come on, Peter and Jessica. I'm going to serve you guys. Just want to say thank you to you guys publicly for the way that you're serving the next generation. We just want to honor you. You know, this weekend, uh, I, I, I cried in hockey night in Canada. And it's because they, they retired Pavel Bure's jersey uh, last night. And they, sh they were showing these videos all across the country of his first practice with the Canucks. And it was over here at the Britannia Center. It was the biggest crowd that the ice rink had ever had in its history. And guess what? We were right there, 1991. We were right in the front row. Our whole family was there. I just wept, because it was like my journey in Vancouver. I was like reliving the last 10 years. But just the power of giving honor to who honor was due. And, and he did the same as he, as he gave his little speech. But I really want to give honor to whom honor is due. You guys are, you rock. You rock. We love you. And so come on over here. Just wanted to echo and get in on that too. Um, I know this is totally unplanned, and it really came out of a practicality of wanting to serve you communion before you had to go pick up the kids. But um, Jessica's really had a heart for taking on our primary class, and right now um, she is our only teacher that is committed to serve that class. We have other people come in to do one-offs, so we really want to get more support for her. And Colleen, sorry, excuse me, Colleen and Jessica, committed to do that. Um, but just also really appreciate the way that you guys, I think, are really modeling that you don't have to have kids of your own to want to invest and believe in the kids that are in our church and just the way that you guys love and serve our kids. We really appreciate it. Amen. So I know you really don't like standing up at the front and being spoken about, so I'll stop doing that now to honor you some more. So thank you for all you do. So let us pray for you. Yeah. So Lord, we just uh, bless these two. We thank you, Lord, for their heart that they have lived out for for the next generation in so many ways and <laughs> so much of what they're doing today. I just pray, God, you'll protect them just from weariness on the roads. And just, I just pray that you just so ignite them with your presence and power, mm -hmm. Lord, on their trip, Lord, to, to Camp Squia, and then as they bring the kids back, yeah. pray for your protection. I just pray you pour back into Peter and Jessica. I just sense an acceleration happening in your lives just with regards to God's, uh, God's destiny and his plan and his purpose for you. This is a season of acceleration in leadership. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to bless and honor what, what you are doing in their lives, Lord. We thank you, Father. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we minister these elements to them today, I pray that as they partake of the body and blood of Christ, that your life would be just so renewed in them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you guys. Woo. <laughs> so come and receive.
And then you're, you're all welcome to just line up after them, and we'll bless these guys to go. And if uh, anyone needs help, uh, grab.